Hello and welcome to the Disruptors Podcast. In over 850 podcast episodes, we've never released anything like this episode. This conversation features Rebecca Fox. Rebecca is a therapist and a narcissist expert. Rob and Rebecca sit down and debate all things to do with a narcissist, how to identify and hurt a narcissist, and do entrepreneurs need to be narcissistic in order to achieve greatness. This is a fascinating conversation, so let's just get straight into this one. But remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. Rebecca, how do you hurt a narcissist? That's a good question, isn't it? It's a question I get asked a lot, actually. And I think the main reason for that is being in that kind of relationship is so damaging and it causes so much pain. People want payback, right? They want to be able to get that person back for treating them so badly. So in terms of hurting them, it's a really difficult thing to do because of how they're wired. What I mean by that is how their brains are wired. It's very different from you and I, let's say, a healthy person. Narcissism is something that's very much created and it's very difficult to rewire. So when it comes to hurting a narcissist, you can't do that because they already think they're untouchable. That's the problem. Right. So what I say to people is, what they don't like is losing. So a narcissist will go through life as if it's a game. They work in a pattern that's very specific and it's very targeted. So people often say to me, you know, the hardest thing about being my partner is he's so unpredictable. I'm like, okay, but if you know he's unpredictable, surely that's predictable behavior. Mm. Because you know you're never gonna get the same thing twice. Right. Which is exactly true. Yeah. So with that, it's about recognizing the patterns because those patterns with narcissists never change. And that's what people really need to understand. They expect you to stay in that victim mentality. They expect the way they've treated you to stay damaged, shall we say. So what I say to people is the best way to hurt them, turn your life around and succeed. They're never gonna expect you to be happy. They're never gonna expect you to be in a good relationship. They're never gonna expect you to have friends again. So by doing that, that is the only way you're going to get a narcissist's attention. Right. I've got about 932 questions that have just come out of that. Let's see if I can order them. Okay, you said narcissists are wired differently. Yes. How is a narcissist wired? So something people don't know about narcissism is the core component of narcissism is a very damaged person that suffers a lot with self-esteem. So imagine you've broken your arm. You need to protect the arm by putting a cast on it. That narcissist, the core person beneath everything, is so damaged and broken, they've learned from, because it begins in childhood, they've learned this persona, this cast, shall we say, to protect that damaged person. So everything they do is about proving they're good enough proving they're better than you. It's all about how can I show myself to not be damaged, to not be vulnerable. And this is where people get confused with that because they say, you know, when I first met my partner, they were so charming, they were amazing, they treated me like no one's ever done before. I'm like, okay, how long did that last? Eight to 12 weeks at a push? Okay, and then what's happened? Completely changed. 
abusive, aggressive, downgrading, all of these things, we then go through what's called a discard phase. Love bombing is the first phase, and it's done to catch, like I mentioned about they play a game. So the game is winning at all costs, whether it's business, friendships, relationships, they've got to win. They know that charming charisma attracts people and it catches them, but they can't keep that up forever because it's hard work. So the cracks start to come and start to fade. The real person starts to show. Okay, now I've got to put that person in their place. They need to know they're beneath me and I now need to believe myself I can do that. So all that toxic behavior, all that emotional mental abuse that they do is done to prove to themselves that they can win. Doesn't matter who it is, they can win. And how long does the facade of charm last before the real person shows? Because like you said, a lot of people say, oh, they change, when in reality, no, 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 you just now are learning who they really are. Yeah, so I, I would say eight to 12 weeks, but there is a shift because now we're starting to, you know, great things like social media, people are starting to understand that certain behaviors are not acceptable. Not only are they not acceptable, they're damaging. So people now say, do you know what you just did? It's very narcissistic. Now, can you imagine if you say that to a narcissist, the response you're gonna get? Because all of a sudden they've been exposed. This is a problem then you will see them change very quickly. So they're gonna go one of two ways. Rage is something that a narcissist projects. When it comes to feeling emotions, again, like we're talking about core, core instinctives, I'm gonna say, for a narcissist, they don't have empathy. So the only things they can feel is shame, which is a public emotion, and rage. But rage is felt because they've been caught out. So it, it filters back into that shame. I've just been exposed. I'm furious that you've exposed me. And now I need to put myself back in position again. I need to show that I'm back in control. So <laughs> when it comes to that change, like you said, that person was always there. So they'll either throw the rage out to try and intimidate you, to try and shut you up. Some people will take that and go, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it. I didn't understand, whatever. Or they go, okay, Let's see if I can win this a bit more. And they'll try another gaslighting tactic. They will try another form of manipulation to see if they can bend and twist the reality of what's been said to them. So you said they love bomb. What does that mean? <laughs> so love bombing is the charming, charismatic phase. So when we talk about phases, we've got love bombing phase, which is the initial phase. So how do you recognize this? If it's too good to be true, it is. If you're getting a hundred red roses after a week of meeting them, that's a red flag. <laughs> if they're messaging you all day, every day, that's a red flag. So it's that intensity, you know, because a healthy person has priorities. They understand the dynamics of work, relationships. They get that dynamic. But a narcissist has just caught someone okay, I've got to make sure I've got them. So they go in hard with the love bombing. So it's very intense. It's very, I'm going to say superficial because it doesn't seem real. And that's what catches people at people's attention and often gets them off guard because they're like, I've never had this before. I've never met someone so romantic. Well, it's no coincidence. Right. 
And you said gaslighting. What do you mean by that? I know that's a modern phrase. So gaslighting is a form of manipulation. Gaslighting is done to distort your reality. So an example of that is I would say to you, you know, Rob, I was meant to be here at two o'clock today. And you say, no, 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 we booked for one. I would then twist that to make you second guess your reality of what you just said. Oh, maybe she is right. Maybe I've got it wrong, even though you probably had and I've just made an excuse. So it's all about distorting your reality because then they can start to create your reality. So if you're someone that's quite confident and you're doing well at work and you come home, you say to your partner, I've had a great day, I've had a promotion, I'm so happy, got a problem here. That's a big problem. Why is that a problem for a narcissist? Because all of a sudden that person's gonna be better than them. It's a threat. They can't have anyone doing better than them. So what they will then- Even the person that they're in a relationship with? Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely, because when they go out, let's say you're attending an event, a function, you and your partner, and the partner gets the attention. Oh, I hear you've just got a promotion at your job, congratulations, and they want to talk about it. Hang on, narcissist, what about I'm the best in the room? Why am I not getting all the attention? So it's a big problem because they never want to be seen to be beneath anyone. So the gaslighting comes in to change that reality. So it will be things like, okay, you've got that promotion. What are you shagging your boss? Okay. Now she's got to try and explain that away. Well, uh, you know, maybe it's just, I'm good. It's not because you're good. Why would you, you clearly, he fancies you. That's the problem here. You didn't earn that. No, no, no. He fancies you. I'm not happy with you being at that job. So we've gone from a very happy woman that's just got a promotion to him saying, this is an issue. Actually, I think you're shagging your boss or he wants to shag you, you need to get out of the job. Phase two, she, loses, she leaves the job or loses the job. Now she's reliant on him financially. Right. Then the control really starts to come in place. So everything with a narcissist is done with intent to win. It's done with intent to control. If you never changed, if you stayed the same with a narcissist, yes, no, yes, no, you know, no progression, no friends, no life, that might work. That would certainly keep the rage at bay and it would certainly dull the gaslighting. It wouldn't get rid of it, but it would certainly help. So whatever you do, you know, if you get a new friend, oh, I've been down the gym and I got talking to this girl, we're going to go out running, big problem again. Big problem, because what if that partner starts talking to the new girl about her narcissistic boyfriend and the, the new girl says, hang on a minute, I think you've got something wrong here. I don't think he's supporting you. He's already created the reality that you're not good enough. You need to rely on him. You can't earn your own money. You have to go down the gym because you're fat. You know, all these things, the less they can get someone to believe in themselves, the easier they are to control. And that's what gaslighting is used for. Wow. So you said there are stages of so, a narcissist. Have you got like a, a, <laughs> a, a visual model of the stages of a narcissist? I mean, we could do the flip chart, Yeah, right? we could, yeah. <laughs> but we've got the love bombing phase, so. Is that the, is that the first phase? That's phase one, that's, and, and again, like, we'll go into the women's side of things, because, 
even though narcissism isn't gender specific, like I want to throw that out there, any sex can be a narcissist. They do behave slightly differently, but the cycles are the same. So we've got that love bombing intense phase. The next phase is the devaluing phase. So that devaluing phase is where the gaslighting comes in, distorting of reality. What they also do during that phase is something called triangulation. I've heard of this. <laughs> I have heard of this. What yeah. do you think it is? Well, what I think it is, is when some, a narcissist uses someone else in a situation to essentially back up their argument. You're halfway right. Okay. So what you've just described is something called flying monkeys. Oh, right. Which We've is... got the phases <laughs> for this. Yeah. Like we're getting down that end. So yeah. you're right in the sense that they bring someone else into the relationship. Yeah. Often it's a sexual partner. So it's an affair. Yeah. But to them, it's not an affair because it's a way of life. Okay. So go on then hit me with this triangulation. Is triangulation a stage? That will be done in the devaluing phase. Okay. Yeah. So while that person thinks they found Prince Charming and life's going to be amazing and they've mapped out the future, they start to have little digs at them and they start to question things. Oh, there must be something wrong with me now because he's not as happy. Oh, something's not quite right. All of a sudden, they find out they've been texting someone else on social media. Or actually, that night he said he was staying late at work, he was in a hotel room with another woman then it will be flipped back on the girlfriend. This is because you're not performing well in bed. How, what am I supposed to do if you're not satisfying me? This is your problem, not mine. So it's done as a flip. It's rather than, you know, I've been caught cheating, I'm so sorry. No, they don't apologize because it's your fault, right? Then that makes that person question, oh, if only I could do more, what do you need from me? I mean, here's, here's an example, a client of mine, her, her partner was triangulating her. He blamed her. You're not good enough in bed. You don't satisfy me. So she said, okay, what, what do you need from me? She said, I want a blowjob every day. Okay. Reasonable request. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm not a guy, right? But, you know, it was like, okay. So I said, and did you honor that request? Yeah, she did. I said, okay, did it stop? No, he still was seeing up numerous other women. It wasn't just one. So it's all done as a level of control because for him, right. it's like big tick. I'm in control here. I've managed to get her to do more of what I want. So do they use uh, the other person as a way to control and ma manipulate emotions? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I've experienced that. Yeah. Okay, so carry on with the stages. So that's your, that's your discard where the triangulation comes in. No, sorry, that's the devalue. Yeah. Now we're on to discard. Oh. So discard is done very, very cleverly. So what they now work on is the highs and the lows of emotions in relationships. So being in this kind of relationship is like an emotional roller coaster. One minute it's great, next minute it's not. You don't know where you are, but you can guarantee you're going to be up and down. So what they will do, they'll have an argument. Oh, it's your fault. You are they often, uh, Do they often just pick arguments for the sake of it? 
not necessarily. What tends to happen is, is I'm going to use a, you know, the narcissistic man and me as an example. The woman says to, to the partner, you know, I'm really not happy. I want you to stop messaging women and I want you to focus on me and work on the relationship. He will fly into a rage because he's already got others lined up. So he will fly into a rage, make me feel horrendous, probably even frighten me to the and point where I can't say anything back. Is that strategic or is that just because they can't control their emotions and they've felt shame and hurt? It, they can control that. They can control that. So but they, they can use strategically it as a tool. argue. Yes. They not will... just because they're feeling shame. Shame is public. To the girlfriend oh, okay, at fine. home, what do they care? That she's right. not going anywhere. She's stayed through everything. You know, like I said, this is a cycle. This doesn't just happen once. This can happen in a week, these phases. So they know that straight away. They know the girlfriend ain't going nowhere. So they scream and they shout, they intimidate her. And then they go, that's it. I can't handle it. I'm out. They leave. The girlfriend, please come back to me. I miss you. I love you. What can I do? The desperation, yeah? Then they block them. Narcissistic partner blocks the girlfriend and they know she's going to be going nuts right now. Begging, pleading, where is he? What is he doing? What can I do? They'll leave her for a couple of days maybe, then they unblock. Have you calmed down yet? Please come back. What can I do for you? But now she's gone from aggressive, I want you to stop seeing that woman, to puppy dog. What can I do? Please come back. I'll change. I'll let you know. Then he comes back in then he might do the same and disappear again. So the discarding is them basically leaving you, but they do it in a way that creates hysteria. It creates hysterics and craziness because they've already planted the seed. That The partner knows they're cheating. So guess what they're going to be thinking about the whole time? They're going to be comparing. You know, it's the one thing I say about social media. If they can find that person and they start comparing, that's, that's tough, mm. you know? So then you've got the discard. If it gets to this phase, I say to people, you're in luck. This is a good sign because now you can block them, change your phone number, go full no contact, and now you can change your life. That's easier said than done, right? Mm. If that doesn't happen, let's say you don't. Is that the only true way to beat a narcissist? Yeah, though? for I sure. I mean, you said about being successful and out there, but is the only way to truly beat them to just push them out of everything. Yeah, because they're so used to people always being a backup. Always being a backup. It's very interesting when you, again, I'm gonna give you like another red flag into this. If someone's never had a long-term relationship, if you're dating and it's like, oh, I've just never met the one, I've been single for 10 years. Oh, is that right? Have you ever had a long-term relationship? No. Red flag. Red flag that, that there could be a narcissist. Highly likely because they don't have the ability to connect. So I was going to ask you if a narcissist can have a long-term relationship. They can if you're prepared to put up with that. If you're prepared... How, yeah, okay. Yeah, so like a lot of... And this is mainly women. If a woman marries a very successful man and they're financially dependent upon that man and that man's a narcissist, chances are they'll put up with that for the lifestyle. Right. What's the difference between a female narcissist and a male narcissist then? So something a narcissist does very well is they manipulate using sex. Sex is by far their best tool. And so far I've had one person out of everyone I've worked with that said the sex was awful. Everyone else 
best sex I've ever had. I had one person describe it as circus sex. <laughs> now, you know, I'm googling that right now. <laughs> I didn't get into the specifics of what circus sex was, but you can imagine. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, sex is like a big deal. Now, with women, highly seductive. Seductive to a whole nother level. And here's again and like another tip. I don't believe someone can be overconfident. I don't believe there's such a thing as that. You're either confident or you're narcissistic. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, can we come back to that confidence? I'm going to write that down. The <laughs> overconfidence bit. I want to analyse that, but I want to stay on the difference between a male and a female. And you've just said about using seduction. Sex seduction. Yeah. yeah. So the women go down the seductive route. It's a, the main difference. So, are you is, saying they're using as, sex as a power play? Yes, and as a, a way to control. Yes, because again, the sort of men they're preying on, Rob, are often very kind, very gen, very gentle, very generous men. They're very empathetic. They're the nice guys because those guys are the easiest to control. Narcissists and narcissists don't come together. Doesn't work because you can never have one better than the other. Right. That does, just doesn't work. Yeah. So the men they pick on are men that are gonna be absolutely in awe of this woman. And what they often do as well is that women especially, very early on they talk about threesomes with another woman. Very early on, because they think that's what a man wants to hear. Most men, you know, they have two brains. <laughs> you, you connect with both Oh, you brains. could get cancelled for those kind of things, Rebecca. Yeah, okay. But they, they play on that kind of thing, yeah? yeah? So it's all about this fantasy woman. So a narcissistic woman comes in like a fantasy. If it feels like your wildest fantasy, run. Men, Prince Charming. I guarantee all the princes in the fairy tales were narcissists. Guarantee, you're too good. <laughs> so, again, if the guy's extremely charismatic, overconfident, but doesn't... I thought overconfidence didn't exist. But again, yeah, so like, I'm going to give you an example of like the narcissistic, where that comes in. It's not just a matter of, you know, and I've had this with a guy, it was, you know, he wasn't just a lawyer. Oh no, he couldn't just settle with, oh yeah, I'm a lawyer, I'm good at what I do. Like, that's confidence. Mm. It was, yeah, I'm a lawyer, um, I'm the best at what I do, I've won awards, everyone wants to work with me, I've got a waiting list for two years. Like, yeah. everyone knows who I am. There's your narcissist. Right. Any other difference between male and female narcissists? That's pretty much it. Right. That is pretty much it. It's the woman's extremely seductive, and the guy is extremely charismatic. Yeah. Okay. Right. I'm going to now look at my list of questions because we haven't <laughs> done that yet. Is narcissism abuse? Yeah. So, so narcissism itself is a personality type. So not, it's not a personality disorder. It can be. Yes. So you have NPD, which is narcissistic personality disorder. It's a cluster B personality disorder where you've got borderline personality disorder, histrionic, and antisocial personality disorder. Those four are in the cluster B spectrum. The problem with these kinds of people, not so much the borderlines, because they will seek help. They don't think there's anything wrong with them. 
So to get a diagnosis is incredibly difficult because they've got to walk in and say, my manipulation, so good, I'm having a good life. Can you help me fix that? Because mm. to them... But are they having a good life though? Yeah, because they're winning. Okay, so is narcissism abuse? Narcissistic abuse, yes, because it, it needs to encompass emotional and mental abuse. Often you'll get financial, sexual, and you'll get physical abuse in with that as well. For it to be narcissistic abuse, it must have emotional and mental elements with some one of the other three. Hmm. You said that narcissists are winning, but surely not all narcissists are winning. Surely a lot of narcissists are struggling to win because you can never win all the time, can you? So can we go into subtypes? We can you go into what you them. want. So yeah. while these aren't necessarily recognised, these were created by psychotherapists to, to cluster different types of narcissists. Because even though I talk very broadly about this, there are different types to a degree but the core is still the same. They're still very fractured, they're still very fragile, and they still put on this persona to get through life. So we've got like the communal narcissist, the noble narcissist. Now, these are very interesting because these are the sort of narcissists that get their validation from charity work. Prime example, so they've gone and saved the elephants in Africa. You know, they're getting all the publicity, everyone's saying, God, what amazing guy he is, you know? saying to the wife, you're so lucky to have a man like that, he's so generous, but behind closed doors, he's absolutely vile. So those kinds of narcissists are all about that public affection. Yeah, that's where they get their validation from. They're not interested in it behind closed doors, they need it publicly. The next type is the grandiose. So the grandiose is very, your standard narcissist. Look at me, I'm great, I'm the best, I've got the best car, I've got the best house. Have you seen my business? It like turns over 100 million a day. Like, I'm the only one that can do that. That's the grandiose. Then, then you get the next one, which is a malignant narcissist. Now, these are very close to psychopaths, very close, but they're, they're a different breed. So these kinds of narcissists are very vindictive. They want to hurt people. They want to see people suffer. Like that's where they get their kick. So it's not just a matter of I need to win. They actually get pleasure from seeing someone very, very hurt. So the malignant narcissists go out of their way to intentionally hurt and upset someone. Those are the main subtypes. The next one you've got is the, just trying to think of what it's called now. This one always eludes me because this one, it will come to me, but this is the one that looks like a victim. So where this one's very different, you'll meet them and you'll think they're very depressed. Woe is me, no one sees my talent. If only Rob Moore could have seen me, it would give me a scholarship, but you know, I'm just gonna have to wait. But underneath it all, they're the one that doesn't say, I'm the best, they say, I should be the best, but no one sees it. Hmm. And I still can't think of the name of that subtype. That's all right. <laughs> so, yeah, that one, yeah. often if they ever get into therapy, the therapist diagnoses them as having a depression and an anxiety. They'll treat them for that and they think three months down the line, why is this person not going any better? And it's because covert narcissism. There you go. There you go. Covert. It's done covertly. Yeah. Okay. So... Is there an argument that a narcissist is just a hurt person trying to handle life 
and struggling at it? They're not. So I love what you said about that because when you're dealing with someone that's got a lot of empathy and a healthy person, this is why they struggle to leave that person. Because I guarantee you speak to a narcissist, they've had an appalling childhood. They'll be able to give you a story that is so horrific, you can't help but feel sorry for them. And is, is that often made up? Is that often a lie? Sometimes it's made up. And yeah. Certainly sometimes it's exaggerated because we know that not everyone that gets abused in childhood turns out to be mm. narcissistic. So... Yes, of course, our childhood shape us, but it's not indefinite, right? So they don't go through life feeling like, you know, I've had a bad start. Or I could really, you know, I'm just trying my best. They've learned this, this mask. They've learned to cage who they truly are and show the world someone that's powerful, that's assertive, that's grandiose, that wins, that's someone to be admired and respected. And who, that's what they show to the world. And who are they truly? Truly, they're extremely damaged. They're ex they're what self do you mean by damage? So narcissism is a disorder of self-esteem. Oh, that was a question. What is narcissism? It's what is narcissism, Rebecca? <laughs> Thank you. So, yeah, so the, the core component of narcissism is low self-esteem. It's someone that has such a damaged sense of self, they don't know who they are, that they've had to create this person to protect, I'm going to say protect, protect that core being of who they truly are. Wow. And was a narcissist... Uh, Mytholo mythological character? I believe so. I believe so. But the story is slightly different with this one because apparently he was made to look at himself all the time. So it was turned into a vanity story as opposed to what narcissism truly is now because it only entered the diagnostics manual in 1970. So it's a fairly new disorder. But like I said, because people don't come in to get diagnosed, it's not very well recognised and, you know, I come up against this a lot. Well, is, is that because no one wants to admit they're a narcissist? It's a pretty nasty label to put on yourself, isn't it? I don't... They don't see it as a problem, Rob. That's... If they're doing well... If, isn't that word loaded, like, with... So really... Like, who would want to be labelled a narcissist? It's like... It's, it's almost a weapon to call someone a narcissist, isn't it? I think it, it can... <sighs> It depends how you look at it. So, so here's the truth of it. People that are in professions like lawyers, people that are surgeons, people that are um, CEOs that need to go in and cut companies, do you think they're going to be deeply empathetic people that can't have an argument? Doesn't mean they're narcissists, though. So are you saying anyone that buys a company and chops it up is a narcissist? They have to have that element because... What element? That element of not caring, no empathy. But that doesn't make them a narcissist, does it? Not care equals narcissist? If they don't have any empathy. So here's, here's where narcissism comes in. If you're talking about a CEO of a company, right, you need to come in, you need to sack hundreds of people, we need to gut this company to get it going. Or for the greater good of the shareholders and the overall company itself. It would be, their response would be, yeah, I can do that and I hope no one gets hurt. But if they do, I'm doing my job. Mm. And, and they have to have that element because someone with empathy, they couldn't live with that. 
you know, we've just had to get rid, we've just cut a hundred people that have just, they're suffering now. They couldn't live with that. Mm. You know, surgeons, they need that level as well because how, how many people must they talk to a day, you know, with patients that have got life-ending diagnosis? You know, mm. you, it's very hard as someone with empathy to deliver that mm. and not break down. I know I, I would break down, but they can... So you're saying that someone with empathy is not a narcissist and yes. someone without empathy is a narcissist? Yes. That, that is the core component of it, yes. They lack empathy? Yes. Their ability, they don't have the ability to feel. And is being a narcissist a problem? Is it a bad thing? Is it a, an ailment, an illness, a disorder? Not for them, no. Not for them. So, okay, so I, I, let me throw you, this is, yeah, this is going into a grey area for me, go on, then. which I like. I've really enjoyed it so far and I've enjoyed the definitions, but I, we're in grey territory and I want to just do my job as an interviewer. I know someone right now who's about to go bust. Mm -hmm. He could save his company from going bust if he let his nine staff go. Mm -hmm. He probably hasn't got the ability to do that. Therefore, his company is going to go under. And all of his clients are going to lose money mm. and he's going to lose the staff anyway. So does letting the staff go make him a narcissist? No, because there'll be more to that story. I, I would, let, let's add into that. So let's say if he's made decisions that have got him in this position. Well, where that, decisions, of course they have, yeah. Yeah, but decisions that have been done only to benefit him where he's like, I don't care whether anyone could, can deliver this. I don't care if anyone gets hurt in the making. I don't care if I'm gonna take people's money and they don't get it back, I don't care. Like, I'm, I'm doing this and I'm making this decision and now it's come to this point, has he got any remorse? There's, there's the, if he's got remorse for that, he would have some empathy, but if he hasn't? Okay, so a narcissist doesn't have empathy and doesn't have remorse. No. Okay, I can understand that because someone could have the ability to make a hard decision and feel pain, but still make the decision because it's the right decision. Yeah. But if, narcissist, if narcissism was a problem that society didn't need, narcissists wouldn't exist. Are they not good at certain jobs? They're very good. So again, I believe there are healthy narcissists. I, no, I believe narcissism can be healthy and we do need it for certain job roles. I couldn't be a surgeon because I couldn't handle if, any, if I had to deliver, you know, diagnosis. So are you saying all surgeons are narcissists? They've got to have an element of something in there because it's, it's hard. You know, CEOs again, they've got decisions to make. If you put everyone... CEO. <laughs> yeah, but if, if you had to bring everyone else into the, into the mix, if you had to consider everyone's feelings every single time you made a decision... You, we couldn't. Right, there's my point. But I'm also... A pr I only realised this a few months ago. I'm a real empath. I didn't know what one of those was, but I feel everyone's emotions really strongly, and I think that makes me an empath, and I think... I see other people who don't fear. Like, you know, some there people some people just are completely immune to everyone else's thoughts and feelings. Right. There's your narcissist. And then other people are like really sensitive to it. And that's mm -hmm. me. But I can put a wall up and make hard decisions. I can fire people. 
But again, so what you've got to remember, like narcissism is a personality type that's very inflexible. When you're talking about someone that's empathetic, they're often very open-minded because they want to understand everything at a deeper level. So you have the ability to adapt and change and make decisions based on all aspects. Narcissism is very fixed. It's a very fixed personality type. And that's why their patterns don't change. That's why everything they do is the same way. That's why they don't care about hurting anyone else moving forward. Yeah. So could, could you as an empath, as a CEO, make great decisions? Of course, because you have that ability to- But because I'm empathetic, I can also make bad decisions that if someone were a narcissist might make better decisions. Right, there you go. There you go, yeah. Hmm. Do you think some people call others narcissists because they're narcissists? Yeah, I mean, it's an easy tit for tat, isn't it? But when a narcissist says that to someone, it doesn't, you know, they're not saying it because they believe that. That's something called the deflection. So they deflect it. It's like saying... Right, because a lot of people I've seen who are going around telling everyone that this person is a narcissist needs to fucking look in the mirror because they have as many narcissistic tendencies themselves as the people they're accusing of being one. Right, so how do you remove the attention from yourself? You deflect it onto other people and get right. people focusing on there, you know? So... Narcissists use deflection all the time because it's easy. It's another form of manipulation. You know, you're the cheater. No, you're the cheater because, you know, your boss gave you the promotion. You're the cheater. Right. Even though it is them. It's, yeah. it's constant deflection. I'm really fascinated by this label, narcissism. Mm. Do you think that the word can be used as a weapon to try and hurt other people? Of course it can. Of course it can. But anyone that wants to do that to hurt someone is toxic in nature, right? That they're not looking. Toxic or hurt? Toxic. And I, I think... What's the difference between toxic and hurt? Give me your definition of hurt. Someone who has got low self-esteem, something has made them feel shame or not worthy. That would be my definition of hurt. You know, okay. you, in your industry, other people may not have heard this, but the saying hurt people, hurt people. It's, yeah, it's very true. Yeah, because that's the only way they know how to react to the hurt. I know I've felt like that where yeah. I want to hurt people because I'm hurt. But toxic to me is a whole different thing. I mean, toxic is like manipulation and control and um, vendettas vengefulness, spite, mm -hmm. and I, well, you asked me for my definition, so, yeah. yeah. And again, everyone has like varying different definitions of certain things. When someone says to me, I'm hurt, what do you mean, have you lost a leg? You know, what do you mean, have you got a headache? Like, what does that mean? It's, yeah. it's really important that you understand that at a deeper level. So what I would say with that is if someone is, is a hurt individual, let's say they've suffered a lot of trauma, like you said, and their walls up. Well, if someone's coming at them and makes them feel uh, attacked, of course they're going to say something back. Then the person. Not all people, though, are are they? Some people go inwards rather yeah, than outwards. Yeah, so we're talking about a fight or flight response. Okay. So when that amygdala is triggered, and it's triggered from someone's behaviour or someone's words, it depends on how they react. Like you said, some fight, some run, 
Some go into their shell, some fawn and start people pleasing. Well, what can I do to make this work? You know. Yeah. So it is a fight or flight response that you're talking about. Again, you've got to look at both sides of it. You know, because you're right, hurt people will hurt people if they feel threatened. But then they also need to work on all that trauma so mm. they're no longer triggered and going through life like that. But equally, someone who I would say is toxic goes out of their way to get those reactions, goes out of their way. So what is a toxic narcissist? <laughs> so a, a toxic narcissist, toxic is what I would say is someone that brings a lot of pain into your life. So if they're giving you a lot of pain, whether it's at work, whether it's in a relationship, in a family dynamic, if every time you're around them, you feel terrible and that they're not treating you with respect and love, that's toxic. Right. Is there a situation where a relationship could be toxic, not because one individual is necessarily toxic, but the dynamic doesn't work? Yes, yes, absolutely. But then I guess they just toxic that way, point at each other. Yeah, yeah. What kind of person would attract a narcissist? And what kind of person would a narcissist prey on? Narcissists do prey on empaths. Narciss <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, you would, you would be a good target. Fuck! <laughs> <laughs> so, they do prey on empaths because empaths, again, like we spoke about earlier, they want to give excuses for any kind of bad behaviour. Oh, they're just having a bad day at work. Oh, they, they said that to me because they're having a bad day, they haven't slept much. You know, like, they come out with lots of excuses. For someone else, you mean? Yeah, so yeah. if that narcissist is misbehaving or has spoken to them badly, there'll be an excuse for that coming from the empath. Oh, they've obviously just had a bad day at work. I'll let that slide. And it slides again and again and again. Whereas if you had someone that's very confident, solid in boundaries, they're not going to put up with that. You know, they will pull that up and make someone accountable for their behaviour. Narcissist doesn't want that. It's too much hard work. Why bother with that? You can get someone that's just going to play the game. Wow. What is it like being in a relationship with a narcissist? It's, it's life-changing. It really is life-changing. It changes someone on all levels because of the, the brainwashing, because of the, which is gaslighting, the manipulation. So it changes someone on all levels. Most people come out of their relationships so confused. And again, for a man, they're very emasculated. You know, they go into that relationship wanting to be a provider, wanting to be someone that takes care of this woman. This woman's made it very clear they can't do that. They're not good in bed. You know, they, they flip the dynamics. All of a sudden, a guy has lost his whole identity as who he is as a person, but also as a man. So for men, personally, I think this is far more damaging for men than it is for women. Do you um, consult... What is the word for ther therapying, therapies? What's the word? <laughs> do you therapize for, do you have men who come to you for therapy who've I, had narcissistic abuse? I have more men than women. Really? Yes. yes. I, at the moment, most of my clients are men. I've got three that are women and the rest are all men. Is there any reason for that? I think with men, like I said, they, they really are at rock bottom because they, they lose their, their identity, they lose their masculinity. And logically, like men are very logic, logically they're like, I get this was wrong, but why do I feel like this? 
So they want to get that identity back and that's, that's what they come in for. Whereas women, they feel more than what they do think logically. So while they're able to kind of understand things, how they feel, and they're able to kind of work out the emotions, work out where the damage is, for them it's like, okay, let's logically now link it all together and they can kind of work through it a bit better. I'm, I'm not saying they can heal themselves, but I think women have a better process and also I think they talk more than what men do. I think, you know, and again, and this is another problem and, it, and it's no, I'm not having a go at friends of, you know, like especially men, but people get very uncomfortable talking about emotions, especially men. So if a, if a guy says to you, I mean, I don't know you that well, but as an empath, the guy says, you know, this is what I've been dealing with, Rob, and you haven't dealt with that. You're going to be like, I don't know what to say here because this is like, this is weird. Like, why would you put up with that? Like, that's what most people say. Why would you put up with that when you knew? And all that does is reaffirm the narcissist was right. You know, you are an idiot because you stayed. So while the friends don't intentionally go out of their way to make their friend feel like that, unfortunately, they don't know how to handle it. So I think men are very much alone with this, whereas women can talk to other women and kind of get more of a resolve. So what should men do? Let's start with that because you mm. said it, um, they're not talking about it as much. Yeah. What should men do to get help if they feel they're in abusive relationships or narcissists are controlling them? Yeah, I, talking about it. At, but talking about it, there's loads of, you know, you can go online, Google. There's lots of call lines that you can get in touch with to talk about someone with it. A lot of it is just being heard. Because when you're in a narcissistic relationship, you're not heard. You're constantly told you're wrong and then you're told what the reality is. So to actually just be heard, this is my story, this is what happened for me. And for someone to say, yeah, do you know that did happen to you? You are right to feel that way. Sometimes that's like, that's the first stage of a guy going, finally, you know, after all these years. Mm. And, and that is the first stage. I think men need a lot of, some of my guys are currently getting out of the relationships. They're going through a divorce, but still living with, with the wife. That's incredibly difficult, incredibly difficult. So you're so, saying get out of the house. Yeah. Yeah. If you can. I mean, it, when you're in that dynamic, it's not healthy. Mm. And every time you start to get a bit of progress, because what would happen is they'd go and see a therapist, have a great session, walk out there and think, it's not me, this is great, right, I've got a plan, go indoors, bam, put back in their place. That hour was not wasted, but wasn't as productive as what it could be. Mm. So now it's going to take even longer to get you through that process. Mm. And if you're trying to go through that process where you're on the road, but it's really hard, because we all know when we've had to exit a relationship or something, we're experiencing some pain and trauma, in the moment, it's really freaking hard. Mm. And, you know, sometimes we need to get a week or a month down the line or however long, and then we're there. How, when you're in the storm of the emotion, how do you just keep pushing through it and not turn back? Yeah, so what happens when you're in them relationships is you develop something called a trauma bond. I was going to ask you what a trauma <laughs> bond is. What's a trauma bond? <laughs> so a trauma bond is something that's, that's created. It's it's a bond. So we bond as humans. When we come in contact with other people, we create connections. So it's another way of saying it's a traumatic connection. So the connection is solid. So like the connection you'll have with your wife is going to be a good connection. But 
with a, a narcissist, it's going to be traumatic. It's going to create a lot of trauma. And that trauma lives within our bodies, it lives within our minds, that amygdala part of our brain, that gets triggered from the trauma. So every time someone says something, or it can be things like, my ex used to own a red Volvo, I don't know, and they see that car, they're triggered every time, you know? So that's where the trauma bond comes into play, is it's, it's reliving things, it's getting triggered by things around them. Right, even though that trauma is painful, mm -hmm. is that a bit addictive? It's very addictive, it's very addictive, because to quieten down the trauma, you need the good part of the relationship back. You need the validation, right. right? So it's like a drug. You feel the pain and you know that it's the high that you get from them that mm. takes the pain away. So being in those kinds of relationships creates a very intense chemical response. So we've got the dopamine, the serotonin that gets involved. All these things, when they do the devalue and discard phase, they're playing on that. They're playing on that and people remember as empaths we're like well i've seen the good side of that person they were great in the beginning so i know that good person's in there but like you said that was the fake now you're dealing with the real person yeah so they're looking all the time to get that person back to get that feeling you know that hug do you know i do love you really yeah that would be enough to re-trigger them and, and put them back in their place again wow mm. shit have you lost the life yeah, the Wi-Fi's gone. Ah, we can, um, I'll tell you, I've got a good starter question. Let's go live again. Oh my God, the live, I'm doing so well. I bet Is it's it going, going mad? <laughs> I'll tell you, yeah. Yeah, like loads of people are on live. Yeah. Ask some questions. Yeah, I knew it would kick off. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you get the internet connection back, um, let's just smash it straight up again, because mm -hmm. this next question is going to be a great way to start. Are you having fun? I am, this is good. Are you good. enjoying it? Yeah. Yeah, I am. Anything oh, sounding familiar for you? All of it. Is it? Yeah, I, I've had a, um, I have had an experience. Oh, it's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. My dad is definitely an narcissist. <laughs> <laughs> We're all going to be going around that. You're a narcissist. Now nah, you're an empath. You're a narcissist. But we do all have narcissistic traits. But it's what degree do we use them to? Yeah. Like, like your example was perfect. You know, as a CEO, you've got decisions to make. So you need to have that element in there. But do you live? And that's where I was going with it is it's a pattern. Yeah. If you constantly lived your life like that, that's, yeah. that's where you are, you know? Mm. Rebecca, how do you spot the difference between a narcissist, mm -hmm. a sociopath, and a psychopath? Oh, and those are like, those are hot buzzwords, right? So, one thing you need to know about sociopaths and psychopaths is they are terms used for someone who has antisocial personality disorder. So that's the correct diagnosis for it. Most people think psychopaths are only serial killers, which is true because they're the only ones that we can study because they're the ones that end up getting caught. One thing we do know about sociopaths and psychopaths, the biggest difference is sociopaths are created Whereas psychopaths are born that way. So psychopaths don't have that part in their brain that lights up for empathy and remorse. Sociopaths, on the other hand, tend to be um, created or made from childhood. So they will often have a very abusive childhood. They will be brought up around the wrong kinds of people in gangs. And they've developed this way of living. So 
same kinds of undercurrent, lots of narcissism in there, lack of empathy, lots of grandiose, lots of state, uh, stature in there. But one of them, the psychopath, will say, you know, I hope no one's going to get hurt. They will say, you know, people are going to get hurt and I'm okay with that. And they will be okay with that. Whereas a sociopath's like, I hope no one gets hurt, but chances are they will. The sociopath's your guy that has a fight in the bar. Your psychopath is the guy that someone disrespects him in the bar, they walk away and three days later, they'll get their revenge. So they're very methodical, they're very intelligent, they're very precise. Psychopaths, I describe them as like machines because they study absolutely everything to get the ultimate result. So they're often hired assassins. They're people that are in jobs that require a lot of stress without any remorse or empathy. And what's really interesting about them, so if a psychopath has a dead body in their car and they get pulled over, you know, you and I, we're gonna get a racing heart, our pupils are gonna dilate, we're gonna start to sweat, we get that response. They don't have that. That, that doesn't fire up in their brain. So their nervous system doesn't respond in the same way. They're cool. What's up, officer? Yeah, nothing's, nothing's wrong. And, and they will be completely cool. And they're one of the few people in the world that can actually debunk a lie detector t test. So they can lie without any response. And they can get through that. Sociopaths, they're very sloppy. So like I said, if they're going to have a fight in a bar, they're going to have a fight in a bar, they're not bothered. They're nowhere near as methodical as what the uh, psychopaths are. When it comes to narcissism, they're like the baby cousin. So they're the little one at the bottom because they're the ones that, again, like we spoke about, they're damaged underneath and they've created this shell. Whereas sociopath and psychopath, that's who you're looking at. What are the long-term effects of narcissistic abuse? Long-term effects, so a lot of trauma response. So people that have been subjected to narcissistic abuse have a lot of low self-esteem. They have problems communicating. They have problems developing deep connections and they often have a lot of trust issues. And this filters out into all areas of their life. So everything about them would have a lot of fear around it. So when they go into new relationships, new jobs, there'll be a lot of fear around how to handle that because they've lost sense with reality. Is ghosting and blocking a narcissistic behaviour? No. I actually think that's a very healthy behaviour. It can, of course, anyone can ghost and block. But if someone, let's say, let's flip it, let's say you've got a narcissist that's abusing you, why wouldn't you ghost and block them? That's a sign of self-respect that brings confidence into your being. Equally, yes, a narcissist will use that as a tool when they're doing the discard phase. So it could actually be a, a very strong thing to do to try and move on from a traumatic relationship. Absolutely, and, and that is part of going no contact. That is the only way that you can fully heal and move on from that person is to, to remove them and erase them from your life. Why do narcissists make amazing sex partners? <laughs> is that your question, Harry? It probably is. Harry seeds a few in there that he wants me to ask. Why do they make... So 
A lot of that game comes back to mirroring. So when we're talking about women, let's start with women, that seductress. So like I said to you earlier, there's this idea that all men want threesomes, all men want gangbangs, and they want to be admired by loads of women. That's the idea. So a narcissistic woman uses that to her advantage. A lot of the men she will get with have not had a lot of sexual experience because they're empaths, they tend to be quite introverted, they tend to be quite shy. So this is going to be a great opportunity for them in terms of it's going to open up their eyes and give them something to never forget. Use it for that and walk away. <laughs> like that would be my advice. In terms of men, men will mirror the woman. They know women want deep connections. So they can fake that. They can fake that while they're having sex. And that's how they get through that. Are there any really famous people that everyone would know that you think is clearly a narcissist? Oh, I mean, there's a few, Rob. Come on, then. let's go. <laughs> let's play. So one of the best things I think that's happened this year, and, and I was glued to it, that became a full-time job for me, was the Amber Heard and Johnny Depp trial. She is atypical, and she got diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder. So you're saying Amber Heard is a classic narcissist? Oh, yeah classic and what I loved about that is Johnny Depp was a classic victim yes he had you know alcohol and, and drug abuse but a lot of that also was do, done to cope you know she was using that as a weapon oh he's the problem you know he's the junkie he's the alcoholic he's violent he's abusive a lot of that was done because before that he had started to sober up that was done to cope. It's no coincidence that most men, when they've been in that kind of relationship, end up with um, a gambling addiction or an addiction of sorts to escape reality. Because that's the only place they can get some control and reality back in their life. And what made um, you believe that Amber Heard is narcissistic? What traits did you see? It was all of her behavior, the complete lack of remorse, the, the, you know, the disconnect with Johnny, she tried to manipulate all of the audience, um, not the audience, sorry, the... Jury. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the jury, and because they had um, maps of men and women and their ages, and you could see their ethnicity as well, and it was no coincidence that she purposely locked eyes with the women. The men would look away from her that were on the jury because they, they believed him. They could see through it. So if you watched her on it, she was constantly like looking at the jury and it was the women trying to get them on side. So there was no sincerity there. Some might say, but she's an actress. You're damn right she's an actress. You know, she could switch on the waterworks when it suited her. Her stories were very inconsistent. You only had to listen to the voice um, notes that Johnny played, you can quite, so another thing that a narcissistic woman does, so here's again another difference that I really want people to be aware of. When it gets to that physical stage, when the arguing gets to the point of being physical, a woman will provoke a man, she'll get into his face. Most men don't wanna have a fight because they know if they hit her, the consequence for them is gonna be far worse. So they tend to walk away, which again is what Johnny did. He went to lock himself in a bathroom. What does she do? She chases him. She wedges herself in the door while he's trying to get away from her. So it's no surprise she got a knock on the face from the door. But all of a sudden, that's his fault. Male narcissists, they just clump the women. 
They don't need to chase them. They'll grab them and clump them. There's no like, there's no um, provoking because they can just do that. Whereas women need to provoke. There's your difference. And mm. she did so much of that. Mm. So much of that. Wow. Is social media fueling narcissism? I wouldn't say it's fueling. I mean, social media, you can use it for what you want. Like if we're being honest here, I use it for business. It has its purposes. It can be great, but in the wrong hands, it can also have issues. I believe we're coming into a bit of an epidemic of narcissism right now. And a lot of that is to do with, like you just said, how it's being used. People that are narcissistic, and unfortunately, it comes down to the the generation we've got coming through, it's how they've kind of been raised to use social media to flaunt what they've got. But that flaunting doesn't develop healthy mentality. Because it's again, that constant comparison. Oh, how many likes have I got here? You know, oh, okay, I need to get a Lamborghini. Let's hire a Lamborghini, get some pictures with that. Is that narcissistic? Not necessarily, but if the attention behind it is because they need confirmation, they need that affirmation of, you're so great, oh my God, this is great, yes, 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 then it becomes narcissistic. So those that buy into that, that's how I'm gonna word it, those that buy into, you need the big house, you need the Lamborghini, you need the crystal champagne, whatever, etc. those are the ones that are developing that mentality. It's all about what I've got, how you see me rather than who I am as a person. That's where narcissism really starts to take off. So if someone's core being is what they've got and who they've got around them, there's nothing else there. Mm. And what do you mean by there's an epidemic of narcissism? Well, like we've had enough of pandemics, we don't need another one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so exactly that. And when like Facebook's been out, what, 20 years now? Sounds about right. Some, somewhere around there. So what's really interesting, and, and it's showing now, like on things like Instagram, with how people are, you know, com taking pictures and commenting on absolutely everything, recording everywhere they go for the likes, unless they're doing it for educational purposes, I'm kind of like, yeah, we probably are on that spectrum there. But prior to that, these, I'm going to say these people that are in their 20s, they were raised with Facebook where everything is taking a picture. Let me see your Halloween picture. Pictures, 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 pictures. Often those kids don't have the opportunity to say, Mom, I don't want my picture taken. Like they don't have that. It's like it's ingrained into them from a young age. No, no, no. This is what we do. We need to get this now. We need to take this for Facebook. We need to get these pictures. So all their life, they've been raised to validation from pictures from strangers on the Internet. So it's no surprise that that's still filtering through. And like I said, it's now developing into something much bigger. So would you say that at the root cause, there's an epidemic of low self-worth? Yes. I think that's a very fair comment, yes. Mm. What's the cure for narcissism? There is no cure. There is no cure, unfortunately. Someone that, that has that, for them to actually take a look in the mirror, to remove that cast, remove that mask of who they portray themselves to be. You know yourself, Rob, to look at, you know, as a healthy person, to look at all your flaws, to become self-aware, it's hard work. Like, it requires daily consistent awareness. They don't wanna do that. Why should they do that when they're already living their best life? That's why there's no cure. Plus, mm. it's a financial thing. 
So, you know, going back to BPD, if someone comes in BPD. with borderline personality disorder, which again is in the cluster B spectrum, those are the ones that tend to come to get help. But financially, they can't afford to carry on doing it because realistically, those kinds of people need to see a therapist twice, if not three times a week. It's a lot of money. Mm. So that's where it, it can work and it has worked, but people need to have the financial backing to keep going with it. And, yeah. and they just don't. We've talked a lot about narcissistic relationships between people who are intimate, mm -hmm. but what about how do you deal with the handle a narcissistic parent? Yeah, I mean, I've had that. My mother's a narcissist, so that's... Hi, Mum! Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure <she> watching. <laughs> wow, does she know that? I, I, I don't know that she knows. Um, I cut her out of my life Oof. nine years ago now. Shit. Yeah. Why? I, because she was... She created a lot of pain and a lot of toxicity in my life. And it was one of those things, you know, like, all the way through my childhood, all the way through most of my adult life, I had some serious insecurity problems, like the anxiety I had, and I was a high functioning stress addict. Everything I did was like, to prove, I've got to Never prove. Never heard that, a high functioning stress, stress addict. addict. So I functioned off of stress. If I, I couldn't sit down like this now and just be cool, I would be shaking, I would be like, because oh, it's not stressful enough. So you need the stress to function, that's what stress. it is. Because it, for me, that's what blocked out a lot of the pain. It stopped me facing. What happened to you then to create all this pain? It, it was the, the narcissistic dynamic with my mother growing up. So I had a very abusive childhood. Left home at 15, which was a blessing, but then also got into... What, what, what was the abuse? It was emotional, it was mental, it was physical. I didn't have any sexual abuse, but the emotional and mental abuse was very severe very severe you know i couldn't even look people in the eyes you know as a child i couldn't look at anyone because it was you know i was damned if i did i was damned if i don't it was just it was constant second guessing myself if i was happy that was wrong if i was sad that was wrong you know like it was constant if i would put on weight i'm too fat if i'd lost weight i'm too thin if i had makeup on you're not pretty enough take that off if i've not got it on you need makeup it was like constant rob to the point where i didn't know who i was as a child I walked out of there and into a narcissistic relationship. I got beaten up quite badly, ended up in hospital. And it was at that point where I kind of went. Why did you walk into a narcissistic relationship? Because I was desperate to be loved. Like, des I, I never felt that from my mother, never. And I was raised very much with the belief that we get married, we have kids, and you are the, as a woman, you're the woman that stays at home and takes care of everything, but you do get married. That was my belief. So when I got that opportunity, when someone approached me like that, I jumped at it. Because all of a sudden, again, that fairy tale, I'm going to meet someone that's going to love me, that's going to care for me, it's going to give me something I've never had. And that's what I did. And the abuse I suffered was like, this is normal. This is how it's meant to be. Okay, he's shouting at me, he's pulling my hair, he's knocking me around. It's nothing new to me, you know? And it's not until you, and this is where people struggle, because when you're in that environment, until you get out of it, you know, and, and I remember being in hospital and having like police officers and a nurse, I, I'll never forget the nurse, she was so kind. And it, it was like, she said to me, this doesn't have to be your life, you know? And I didn't understand what she meant. 
and then we got talking more and she was like have you ever thought about going to like university what do you want to do with your life and genuinely I was like I don't know I have no I had no I didn't have any ambition I didn't know what I did and didn't like because I couldn't like anything so there was that side of it and you know once I was pulled out of that and put in a position where I either go back to him prove my mother right that I am unlovable I am unworthy and that's what I'm designed to be probably end up dead or I you know trust in someone a stranger that can point me in the right direction and ultimately change my life and that's what I did so yeah why do you think your mum was like that my mother did claim to have been sexually abused in her childhood whether that was true or not we don't know but she's you know my mother doesn't have any friends she's never had any friends she's always been very aggressive in the family you know she's had physical fights with my aunties There's, you know she's a very toxic deeply unhappy person but it's the same thing you know before when i've tried to talk to her about it I, she's not the problem i'm the problem you can't there's nothing you can do with that rob you know someone's not prepared to listen and not prepared to accept they've made mistakes because we all make mistakes you can't change that so you know again when we talk about getting out of those relationships and what I did with my mother which was cut her off it's the best thing I ever did you know no more getting nervous at Christmas no more getting nervous on my birthdays oh, what's she gonna say about me that all disappeared you know and that was the time honestly when I can say I started to really find my feet and I started to really develop as a person when I made that decision. What exactly occurred when you managed to get out of the relationship with your mother and the other relationship you had with the partner? What I'm looking for is what's the moment where you have the strength to move away from it? I didn't have the strength. I can honestly say I, I felt like a little ragdoll that was being pushed and pulled in and I, I literally went, what do I need to do? And, and I, like I said, I sought help in these people, these strangers. What do I need to do? And I used to train horses for dressage. So it was like, okay, why don't you get a job in that? Okay, what, okay, can I do that? Yeah, you can do that, okay. And then part of that, because I went in as a pupil was, you had to do further education. That's when my psychologist then, I was like, I want to do what you do. And she was like, you can do that. You know, we can put you through that. We can help you that and get a degree. Okay. And that's what I did. Mm. So that was when I, I learned about narcissism. I learned a lot about psychology, but I didn't do anything with it until later on. And I, I stuck with training horses, something yeah. that I was good at and I enjoyed. Mm. Cool. <laughs> um, Quick little have you ever round. Just, just three. Have you ever used filters on social media? Yes. Oh, <laughs> you don't need to. Thank you. But yes. Why? Some, some days, Rob, I look like a dead animal. <laughs> <laughs> don't you think filters are bad, though, for social media? Like you're showing people really a better version of yourself, not a true version of yourself. See, again, we could open up a can of worms. Let's do it. Let's <laughs> open up this can of worms. <laughs> Define a better version of yourself. You, I, I assume one puts on a filter to make themselves look better than they are, i.e. not a dead animal, but an alive person. 
So if you're looking like a dead animal, but you want to look like an alive person, you'd put a filter on to make yourself look better or different. That's not truth. That's a veneer. What do you think? Yeah, I understand where you're coming from with that. So just put it out there. By the way, just so you know, I have never used a filter and mostly because I don't know how to fucking work it. But I have (laughs) never used a filter. We can get into that. So I can, can, yeah, let's, yeah. No, I don't want it. Are you not opening up a trap door of being addicted to how you look differently on social media than in the real world? Listen, 100% with what you said there. If I was someone that was very insecure and didn't look in the mirror and think, yeah, I look all right today. You know, I don't look in the mirror and think, Jesus Christ, you know, I I can't leave the house without certain types of makeup or whatever. I'm, I'm quite confident and comfortable with how I look. So... When I use filters, I use them for two things. I use what's called a fresh face. Women out there that are listening, fresh face just gives you like a flawless skin look because that's one thing I can't um, quite get to grips with, but anyway. And the other thing I use it for is for themes. But no one has flawless skin. No one is flawless. So you're becoming something on a social media platform, a matrix universe that you're not. Potentially. If, if I wanted to, if, if I embraced that and said, because I do know my sister actually, <laughs> don't hate me for this, but she did, she openly admitted, she went through a phase where she used this certain type of filter so much, she believed that was what she looked like. And then of course she looks in the mirror and goes, that ain't what I look like. And, and then it was like, I need to step back from using that. I'm quite happy I would have a video call without filters. It, it doesn't bother me. It's just, sometimes I feel like it, and I do it. Do you think if people use a lot of filters, mm-hmm. they're overselling themselves when it comes to dating? Like, if you meet people on the internet, don't you want them to look like what they look like? See, how I would address that is if some, if you look on, a, I'm going to use a woman, as a guy, if you look on a woman's profile and it's filtered up to the hilts, every single picture, I would ask her, why do you feel the need to always use filters? And if it's like, well, that's because that's what makes me look better. Okay, she's got deep insecurities. Do you want to pursue that or not? If it's like there's one picture with a filter and the rest mm. is normal. Oh, I was just messing about, having a go. Is that a problem? Mm. So you're saying the problem is if you feel you need to use filters. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've, like, I've not got much experience in this, but I've actually got a strong opinion on this. Don't fucking use filters. If you want people to love you for who you are, show the world who you are. Yeah. Because if you show the world a filtered version of yourself, which is talking about social media filters, but also an analogy, if you show the world a filtered version of yourself, you're going to attract people who are attracted to the filtered version of yourself. I agree. Not the real version of yourself. Yeah, and you're, you're, what you're talking about is superficiality. Mm. And I do agree with Projecting that. a different version of yourself. Yeah. So how could, you can't be loved for who you are if you're showing a, yeah, what I was going to say is, I was, um, you were asking about my clothes, if they're handmade before we went live, and they're Alexander McQueen, and I was invited to the Alexander McQueen fashion show, it basically means I spent too much fucking money with them, and I got invited to the fashion show, and I'd never seen this before, but this, afterwards, um, this lady said, oh, will you just take a photo for me, and I had the phone, and then I moved it over to her like that, and it fucking changed the way she looked. <laughs> and it literally tr- made her face look like a triangle, and her body look all skinny. Yeah. And it was like a video filter that completely changed the way she looked. 
thought, fucking hell. So I took the photo and I looked at her there and I looked at the photo. I thought, well, that looks nothing like you, but I didn't say anything. And I gave it back. Fucking hell. I mean, that's an extremity. And, and I am very against that. You know, if, if you're going to go on a dating site and you're not going to put a full body picture of yourself unfiltered, that's oh, not I'm glad fair. you didn't say unclothed. <laughs> no, wear clothes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, because it, it's not fair. Because then, that, like you say, that person turns up and it's like, well, hang on a minute. You're not a size eight. No, I'm a size 14. And all you're doing is adding to your hurt and your pain as yeah. a woman. Yeah, and some people are worrying why they're having all these... Well, sorry, some people are wondering why they're having all these failed relationships. Exactly. Yeah, I agree with you. And they're not showing the real version of themselves. Yeah. Wow. All right. I've never used a filter. Um, I know the answer to this now because you've said it, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Mm -hmm. Have you ever dated a narcissist? Yes. More than one? So, yes, and I would actually say that I dated a psychopath once, and, and I did that purely for Let's research. Let's do an episode called um, I Dated a Psychopath. That would be a great, that would be a great title. Yeah. Tell us how it's like dating a psychopath. Oh, my God, it's, it's incredibly draining. It is incredibly draining. It was, there were times, because I did it, I, I kind of got the, the feeling when I first started talking to him, I was like... This guy, this, we've got something going on here. I think he's on the cluster B spectrum. What, what was going on? That it, it was just, again, it was very intense. I'm, I think one of the first messages he sent me was, just so you're aware, I'm going to absolutely change your life. It's like, oh, really? He's like, yeah, I'm going to give you the best life you've ever had. And I'm thinking, well, I've already got a good life, so I'm not sure how you're going to... But it was like, it was instant, you know? Instant wow. of... And that was, that, you know, that's right up there. So that kind of sparked me as in, oh, let's, let's test this. So I tested many different theories. Don't you think you should have run at that point? Well. <laughs> With hindsight, well, yeah. He, he's great because he, he became a case study and I ah. now use him in my program. So ah. thanks. Did he become a, <laughs> he became a client, did he? Or you just mean the story you're able to tell? Yeah, so I, yeah. I use screenshots and, yeah, and I did actually wow. meet him in person and that was... That was very interesting. Well, that word interesting is the worst word in the English language. Let's just pause this because I've got a bit of personal development and sort of therapy and NLP experience. When people say interesting, they don't mean interesting. They mean lots of other things, but not interesting. You're like, oh, that's interesting. So what interesting things did he do? So what you really mean is fucking psychopathic. Yeah, he, yeah. He, was, <laughs> he was interesting. Incredibly you meant fucking psychopathic. Yeah. yeah, yeah, on a whole nother. So level. what? What shit? Come on. So it was um, like fixing his hair the minute he walks in. He was late. There was no apology for being late. And then he said, "Oh, I had to change my shirt in the car." So I pulled up. <laughs> I pulled up in the garage down the road and got out the car and stripped off and changed my shirt because I didn't want to get creases in it. I was like, ah. Oh. Okay, what, in front of everyone? Yeah, yeah, well, I don't care. I don't care. Comes in, fixes his hair. Okay, I'm talking to the waiter, the, the bar staff about some wine. And he says to me, you're very nice, aren't you? But it was detrimental. And I said, why wouldn't I be? He said, too nice, you don't need to be like that. So it was like, he was well, instant. Well, put down he didn't, straight away. Yeah, he didn't mess about. He hadn't just listened to a how to date CD. He negging. definitely had a Negging, no. they were all doing that. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, just proceeded to talk about himself, 
talked about the clothes he was wearing, didn't mention anything about me, no compliment, no. It was like the show, his show. I'm not going to yeah. say his name, but it was, yeah. Dave. <laughs> yeah, it was the Dave, Dave show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, it was textbook. Okay. By then, did you already know how to spot a psychopath? Yeah, I'd, I'd, that for me was, I just wanted confirmation. I'd never kind of met one in the flesh. Obviously, I've studied them and, you know, looked up on them and stuff. So it was, I'd had the conversations and it was nine months before we met. Like how so unusual is that? So you were just texting and messaging online? Yeah, messaging. Messaging, he would then go through stages of ghosting. And yeah, I'd, I'd totally tested every theory in the book with him. And yeah, he At was... At what point did you cut it off when you knew? It was after, after I'd met him. Um, and then he said, right, next time you can drive to mine. I said, sorry, what? He said, yeah, you can drive to mine, like demanding. So I'll have to let you know. He said, oh, what, busy again? So it was all contrasending. Oh, what, you think you're busy? You, you know, no, I am busy. And then, yeah, left and blocked, yeah. done, job done. Mm. Mm. Have you ever been accused of being a narcissist oh, by every anyone? Day. <laughs> every day. Every day. Every day. What do they say? Oh, it's normally on my TikTok. I, I normally get a comment saying it's narcissists that call people narcissists. Is there, is there some truth in that? We, yeah, we spoke about this. Yeah. There, there is no, some Not in the second life. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so narcissists, of course. Anyone can call anyone a narcissist. Yeah. But that could be them being a narcissist. There could be a tripulation here. Absolutely. So that they're calling you a narcissist because you talk about narcissism, but them calling you a narcissist could mean that they're a narcissist. Yeah, because they're projecting. So they're trying to shift it. That's the, the matrix, isn't it? Yeah. What have, we, um, what have we not spoken about that we should speak about? I think I've covered all my questions. Is there anything you... Oh, overconfidence. You said there's no such thing as overconfidence. Yes. Okay. Um, is there a point where your confidence becomes arrogance or hubris or misplaced confidence, delusion? Is that not what overconfidence is? Yeah, I, I would call that narcissism. You've, you've just described it very well. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you think there's confidence and narcissism? Yep. Is it, does arrogance have a little place? So arrogance is one of the key narcissistic traits. Oh. That, that is, again, like that's below empathy. That's right up there. No empathy, sorry, not they have empathy. No empathy, yeah. arrogance for sure. So, you know, an example would be, it wouldn't just be, you know, oh, I'm, I'm a lawyer, I work in London. It would be, do you know I'm one of the top lawyers in London? I have the top clients, I'm the most expensive. Only millionaires work with me. There's the narcissism, because it's that they want you to know they're the best in the room. It's not enough to just say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a good lawyer. I've done some good cases this month. You know, th they've mm. got to make it very clear you're sitting with the best person in the room right now. Right. Are there like mini narcissists and fuck off narcissists? Are there like small tendencies which are dealable with and then exaggerated cases? So we can all have narcissistic traits. Like, I want to make that clear. We can all have moments of being arrogant, we can all have moments, like you said as a CEO, where you have to switch that empathy off a little bit to make decisions. We can all do that. But if it's a recurring theme and pattern in your life, that's when it becomes, no, no, no. You are that narcissistic personality type. Yeah. So 
me personally, I believe one in three. I think well, one in three people. Yeah, yeah, I think it's are as narcissists. Many as that. Yes, yes, I would say that. Yeah. Oh, is is it really bad to be a narcissist? It can be in in terms of. What people don't understand is people think, like, we, again, when we talk about psychopaths, or oh, they're only serial killers. It's the only time you'll come across one. Not at all. They walk among us. There are people like that in society. Sociopaths, narcissistic people, they do walk among us. Some of them can be incredibly successful. Often, like we spoke about Amber Heard, classic example. There are many people that are deemed successful that are highly narcissistic. Do these labels help society or not? Sociopath, psychopath, narcissist, is, are these good labels? I personally, I'm not a fan of labels. Well, you've just used about 400. <laughs> yeah, so we've used that to educate. Right. But there's a degree of education with that. What are you going to do with that information now? You know, are you now going to start to psychoanalyze every single person you meet? Is that what you're going to do? You're going to get a checklist? One right. in three dates is with the psychopath. <laughs> right. You're yeah. the psychopath. Yeah. Okay. Right. So yeah. it, it, what I say to people is it's all well and good, right? We can have as much education around this as possible, which is what I'm looking to do, that I want to get it out there. But the core fact of it is if you're dealing with someone that isn't showing you respect, that's making you feel less than, that's not showing you love, that's not being empathetic towards you, that's making your life an absolute misery. Whether they're a narcissist, psychopath, sociopath, whatever, does it matter? Now we've got to make a decision. How do we deal with that? What are we going to do now to make you get in a better position? You know, if you're in, because some people, and it, often it's cultural, they can't leave those kinds of dynamics. So I need to give you tools then on best to deal with that. Yeah. Is it going to change the person? No. But we can lessen your symptoms of how it's affecting you to a degree and give you coping mechanisms. Those who are not trapped in that dynamic, get out of it. Yeah. Get out of it, do the work, and then learn to spot it and not get caught up again. Right. So, love um, in a moment for you to tell everyone where we can follow you. Okay. Before we do, Melissa, Harry, if there's anything you want to ask, now's the time. If there's been any questions on the comments as well. Mm. Um, so, where can we follow you? So, you can find me on TikTok, EQ Consultant. You can find me on Instagram, Rebecca.p.fox. Okay. Um, um, your, your services, what are they? What do you do? How do you help people? So I'm a therapist and I specialise in healing from trauma after being in toxic, abusive relationships. So if you're someone that's been in a very toxic dynamic, whether you think they're a narcissist or a psychopath or a sociopath. Or just a twat. Or just, yeah, just an absolute twat. <laughs> get in touch and I can give you tools to heal from that because there's always a lot of trauma held. We need to deal with that before you can develop and have healthy relationships in the future, which ultimately is what we all want. And if people want to contact you, is DMing on those channels okay? The best way is to email, but if you go to my TikTok, the link in the bio, there's numerous ways and my email is there. Rebecca, what do you think about Andrew Tate? He's atypical as someone that has a cluster B personality disorder. So you're saying that Andrew Tate is a typical classic narcissist? 
Is that what he you're saying? He oozes narcissism. But I'm going to add into this because the way he he went about executing his social media campaign was very clever. You can't deny he'd done it in a very clever way and he was very successful for that. What was clever about it? It was that whole pyramid scheme, you know, getting people to come on board to his, I think it was a hustlers program. And then he got them to, I, th I believe, repost his videos. So it wasn't just one him on one channel. God, I remember at one point TikTok, that was, I think I did like 50 in one day that I blocked yeah. <laughs> coming up. It was insane. But Andrew Tate, I mean, I, personally, I'm very tight on who I, I let into my, my world. And he, I blocked a lot of it because it was so toxic. And what was toxic? I don't believe he's educating people for the greater good. I believe it was all done through his grandiosity through him wanting all of that, you know, the ticks in the box. I'm so great, I'm so great. Yes, 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 you're great, let's get followers. It's that cult thing. You know, he's looking to create a cult. And while he, you know, made it better by coming on and saying that isn't what I meant, I didn't mean you should beat women up and put them in their place. It's too late, the damage is done. And you've got a lot of very vulnerable people. And, and you know, I was so pleased with the social media giants that shut him down. Because you've got so many vulnerable people out there that listen to that, that want that little bit of hope, and then all of a sudden they've been converted. And then they're giving hate on other people's pages. That He created this, this hate-filled campaign that wasn't good for people, male, male and female, you know? Again, the gender's irrelevant there. It, it affected everyone on all levels. So he was incredibly damaging, yeah. And you think it was right for all the social media platforms to block him? Yes. Cancel him? Uh, for sure, because whether, you know, I don't look loads into this, admittedly, you probably know more about it than me, but for me, for them to kind of go, whether this was the truth or not, but I believe people are starting to become aware of mental health issues. When you've been in toxic relationships, Mental health issues are a byproduct. You will get depressed, you will be anxious, you will have post-traumatic stress. All these things are byproducts. Yes, we want to educate about it, but we don't want to encourage it. We don't want to make it, you know, a thing. Like I remember he said something about, guys, all you've got to do is go down the gym every day. That's gonna sort your mental health. It's utter rubbish, you know, and I think I liked the fact that the social media giants went, we want to take care of our viewers' mental health and we're putting a stop to that because, yes, you can have healthy debates and you can have an opinion, but when it's constantly toxic, constantly getting reactions, that's not good. It doesn't help anyone in the long other than him. His pockets were very full, I believe. So, based on our earlier discussion, if Andrew Tate's a classic narcissist, are you saying he's highly insecure? Yes. Yes. Deeply insecure. Yes. And that's why, you know, again, I didn't watch loads of his stuff because I, I didn't want to get into that. But a lot of what he was saying was, was very standoffish. It was very protective of himself. You know, it, it was, I remember I watched him with, I didn't know who the young lady was, but I believe they were on a date or something. And he wore sunglasses <laughs> indoors. Major red flag right there. And she actually said to him, I believe it, it was something along the lines, you know, why are you wearing sunglasses indoors? Now, to me, that is a valid question. 
He attacked her straight away. Oh, you're attacking me. You're attacking me because I've got an eye issue. I've got a problem with my eye. There was some rubbish. And then right at the very end, he says, but it's because of my eye condition that I wear them. A healthy person wouldn't have attacked. They would have said right from the beginning, oh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I've, I've got a bit of an eye problem. I hope you don't mind me wearing them indoors because the lights hurt my eyes. That would be a healthy and normal response. He didn't respond like that. People argue he did it for the views. I don't think so. The patterns don't lie. What are the patterns? Exactly that. Everything, if a woman especially asked him a question, it's very interesting because the ones I saw of him with the glasses on were in situations where he was being highly scrutinised. He needed the glasses. We've had a question from the live. Are people who agree with Andrew Tate's views narcissists too? No, I believe a lot of those are very damaged, very vulnerable people, if I'm being honest. I think they've seen a little, you know, because he's so aggressive and he's so for people. He claims, he makes out he's for those people, you know, men that can't date high-value women. So this is how you behave to get high-value women and this is how you treat them. So those guys that have perhaps been in a relationship where they've been mistreated, he's the holy grail. He's just given them the answer. What is a high-value woman, anyway? I mean... <laughs> I mean, this, this is my point. Again, that label, I just think, is, is rubbish. His definition, I believe, is women that live on billionaire yachts, that have had various cosmetic surgeries, that are very... That's a high-value woman? I believe so. I believe that was his definition. Oh. I better not open my mouth right now. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of Jordan Peterson? Who is he? Ah. <laughs> He's like bigger than Jesus Christ at the moment. You yeah. Got a picture. Go and, go and, well, yeah. Go and have a look into him. Okay. Well, maybe we'll talk about him another time. Harry, is there anything else you want? Yeah. Sorry, Harry. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> that actually makes good content. I think you're the only person I know who doesn't know who Jordan Peterson is. I don't. Okay. <laughs> High five. Oh, right. That's 50% of the there. room. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. This has been fun, educational, and entertaining. Thanks, Rebecca. Thank you very much.